Hey there, I'm out walking in the rain here, and I'm having to hold the phone up pretty close to my head under my hood, because it's a rainy and cold one. Uh, so hopefully my voice isn't too aggravatingly loud, but maybe this way I won't yell into the phone, because that's kind of what happens when I do mobile episodes like this, is I'll start out nice, cool, and calm, and next thing I know I'm screaming on the side of the road into my phone about something or another. But, uh, you know, what's on my mind right now is I haven't been paying any attention at all to current events. You know, the things that are in my field of vision on a day-to-day basis are pretty much everything I'm aware of right now. But I've stayed kind of peripherally aware of the stimulus check issue. Uh, you know, where it's like, oh, it's going to be 600 And then next thing you know, oh, maybe the President Trumpsfeld says it should be 2000 and they approve 2000 and then that gets shot down. And then, you know, just this back and forth, this volleying, which really affects you, you know, if that's a substantial amount of money to you, if, you know, the $1,400 difference is a substantial amount of money to you, which it is to me right now for sure, I mean, I don't ever want to be at a point in my life where $1,400 isn't substantial in some way. But right now, like the decisions I'm having to make to start this year, you know, are directly impacted by the amount of money I can expect and just some different things like that. So I have a little bit of emotion tied to this handout, which is what it is. But it's a weird handout because... It's a situation where you're basically told you're grounded. You're grounded and uh, you didn't do anything, but we're grounding you to protect you. Basically, it's like a parent telling their kid, oh yeah, that party, Molly's party you want to go to, uh, there's going to be gang members there with guns and drugs. So we're going to keep you home that night and we're not going to let you do anything else because we don't want you to, to lie and say you're going somewhere else and really you're going to end up going to the party. We're just going to keep you locked up in home, at home. And in reality, that might be the smart decision. You know, the smart decision for parents, if they know their kid might go to this dangerous party where there's going to be weapons and drugs, you know, the right thing to do might be just to lock them up. You know, it's a tough decision. And, you know, I'd say the same about just what's been going on for the last 10 months, which is... You know, it's a similar situation. The idea is that, you know, we're not grounding you because you did anything wrong. We're grounding you for your protection and everyone else's protection because there are invisible gangs everywhere. <laughs> That's basically what it feels like. Uh, but, but the idea is that, you know, because we're not letting you do many of the things that you would be able to do, including survive... Uh, We're going to give you a little handout. And what these people don't realize is that they are demigods. I mean, maybe they do realize that. Maybe that's why these people are, you know, have some of the ego issues they have. But when you have people voting on this, you know, the fact that so many people's heartstrings are being pulled based on this debate over how much money and where it's going to go and how much individual people are going to receive and you know it's so overcomplicated every at every step it's overcomplicated and i'm not going to get into how it all works because i don't even know 
but it's everything is this package deal. Everything is bundled. And by going back and forth like this about something that substantially impacts people's lives at a time when they actually have very little control over their lives. I mean, yeah, they control themselves as individuals, but they have very little control over what they can do in the outside world right now, which we have to do. You know, we have to go out into the outside world normally to survive. Uh, in order to attain the things that we need, in order to work, in order to get money. Sounds like someone's fire alarm's going off. You know, it's funny, like, you hear those, and then you don't think to do anything about it. Like, you'll hear a fire alarm, and then, like, I guess you look for smoke. But it's like, I always think, like, when I hear mine going off, I'm like, you know, if somebody, if a neighbor just heard my fire alarm going off indefinitely, would they eventually check on it? You know, and like, I'm in the same position here where I'm hearing a fire alarm and I'm like, should I maybe go take a peek? Make sure everybody's okay. But uh, just to get back to what I was saying, though, it's like these people who are, are in these positions, like senators, um, congressmen, congresswomen, you know, they become these demigods where they're not simply representatives. I mean, the idea of politics is representation, but they become these people who have a stance and that stance individually and collectively impacts so many people underneath them. So it's like them simply, I mean, I, I think the best way to put it would be like them simply like lifting a finger causes millions of people's bodies to sway from, from one side to the other. It's like one lift of a finger causes the boat that everybody's in to shake violently or to you know, shake from one side to the other. And I think those people do know they have that power, even if it's not completely real. I think they do know that they have that emotional power over people. But it's something to remember, too, if you're ever in a position of influence or power, uh, where the smallest things have much larger ripples. You know, the smallest movement makes... A much larger wave than you can even comprehend and, and even if you're not in some position of power that's something that you know can happen in your personal life it can happen in every little interaction where even just saying something flippant to somebody you know or that you don't know can pretty much change the rest of their day you know about a month ago i flipped out on a friend and i won't give any details because it's, it's very rare that that happens it's very rare that i officially flip out i think it's an official thing i have to officially flip out once in a while um but my brain has just been all over the place for the last month and i flipped out on a friend and they mentioned that i ruined their day and it's like to think about that that like with one little outburst you know, like a five-minute outburst about something ruined somebody's day. And, and, you know, and this is not a dramatic person. So it's just like thinking about things like that, where like even just person-to-person, friend-to-friend, peer-to-peer, that sort of impact that you can have. I mean, uh, I mean, it's happened to me a million times. It's happened to you a million times. It's happened to everybody a million times. And for me, it's like there are times where I will in intentionally be obtuse or difficult 
maybe even an asshole sometimes. But it happens so often when you don't even realize it. You know, someone can misinterpret you or or even if you're not misinterpreted, you just don't realize the weight that something has. And I mean, that's kind of what makes me think of these politicians who are voting on stimulus bills where it's just like, it's just this roller coaster, it's this back and forth. And, because uh, I'll just check the news, I'll check something periodically, and I see, oh, they approved it. Oh, now, now so-and-so is standing up against it. It's not gonna happen. If it happens, it's not gonna happen for three weeks. You know, it's, it's just this, there's a drama to it. And if you get invested at every little point, like every time that the, that drama rests, like every time the chapter ends, you're like, oh, I, you know, it's like reading a book and every time the chapter ends, you think, oh, this is the way it's going to be. It's chapter five and the way this chapter ends is going to be the entirety of this story. It's over. It's kind of like having that mindset when you pay attention to some of these things like a stimulus bill, like these votes, like this back and forth. To me, it's, it's, it's similar to that, where it's like, never rest on the last thing you heard. Never expect that the last thing you heard about a given issue is going to be the final word. But, you know, these demigods in suits and ties and pantsuits and dresses, whatever they wear, you know, basically just a, a flick of the wrist causes people's moods to go up and down significantly and you know I don't envy that like you know I would never want to have that level of power over somebody and I mean you can even see it with bosses where the most unlikely things like something I've learned from having bosses is that the most unlikely things can become tyrannical where your boss being in a good mood can be a form of tyranny 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 i like tyranny but sometimes i say tyranny and i don't mean that with any sense of irony tyranny oh is tyranny is tyranny like irony and tyranny tyranny but uh you know it's one of those things where if you've had a situation like that where like like i had a boss who he was kind of a pseudo-new-age guy. Because I can hang with... I feel like I'm yelling now. It might be because cars are driving by. Uh, but, you know, I had a boss, and I would call him kind of pseudo-new-age because I can, I can hang with actual new-age. I can hang with some of that... You know, even if it's nonsense. Even some of the stuff that I don't even believe in or agree with, I can hang with because it, it's, it's weird enough... And as long as you're not mean, people who are like that will talk to you. <laughs> like, like with, with certain people like that who are like legitimately new age, like as long as you don't just like try to overpower them, you know, I have fun talking to them. Or if they don't try to overpower you. I mean, I think that's often more the case is that people overpower you with their new age nonsense. But as long as nobody's overpowering anybody else, I can hang with that. But what rubs me the wrong way more is this kind of pseudo-new age 
where it's you know it's new age stuff but gone through this mainstream pop culture filter and a lot of it's of course based around positive thinking which i'm into and it's hard to describe it unless you know it but i would just describe it as pseudo new age and this boss was very much of that because he wasn't very weird you know and, and of course people are weird in ways that aren't weird <laughs> which i'll try to explain some other time but uh in this case, it was just a guy who, you know, he was, like, just new age enough to where, you know, he said a lot of bullshit, but not new age enough to actually be weird, you know, or anything like that. Um, but he, you know, his moods would fluctuate, and, you know, his mood, of course, would affect the entire office, where if he was in a bad mood... Even if nobody else was in a bad mood, it's going to bring them down a notch. They're going to quiet their voices. Their day is going to be impacted. But if he was in a good mood, that would make people uncomfortable too because his good moods were very manic. And he, I don't think he was manic depressive or bipolar. I don't think there was anything diagnosable as far as his manic states went. But he would be very manic and in his mind in that moment and this is something that you'll see with a lot of people in manic states is they can't comprehend why everybody else doesn't feel the way they feel at that moment like they actually can't comprehend it and they might even try to convince you to feel the way they do they might think that there might be all you have to do is think it which there's a lot of truth to you can think your way into a different mood you think about the phrase changing your mind. I was thinking about that last night. How it's such a casual term. Oh, did you change your mind? I've never once thought about how heavy that that phrase is, you know? Oh, what's the matter? Did you change your mind? Oh, well, if you change your mind. Oh, I'm planning on making lasagna for dinner. I'm planning on making lasagna for dinner. But if you change your mind, we can have the ravioli. You know, think about how crazy that is, changing your mind, if you change your mind. And we accept that people do that. But it's funny that we use changing your mind in the most casual way possible. Like if you change your mind about religion or politics or some serious opinion you have, people will get on your case. You're a flip-flopper. You're a flip-flop, flop, flip-flopper. If you change your mind about something big and serious but if you change your mind about dinner if you change your mind about what tv show you wanted to watch it's no big deal as it shouldn't be but it also shouldn't be a big deal to change your mind about bigger issues because a lot of it is based on how you feel and how you feel changes within the course of a day how you feel changes from day to day which is why lasagna might sound good in the morning when your wife tells you what's for dinner, but by evening you're more of a ravioli guy. You know, hey, this morning, you know, the guy you talked to this morning in the kitchen, he was more of a lasagna guy. The guy you're talking to now in the evening, he's more of a ravioli, more of a ravioli guy. Um, so that's acceptable, but I mean, it should be just as acceptable to do that about any number of things. But you can't expect other people to do that. You know, you can't necessarily expect other people to do the same. And that was what I dealt with with this boss, where you didn't feel comfortable when he was in a positive state of mind because he expected everybody else to feel the same way he did. 
And it would play out, too, with things like... He was the kind of guy where, like, if you went to a lunch meeting with him, there was this kind of expectation that you order what he orders. And it was never explicitly said, but I, I was at a lunch meeting once where I think he ordered a salad. And uh, there were about four or five people at this meeting. And every single person after that ordered a salad. It was like, we're getting salads. You know, we're, we're, we're out getting salads together. And it wasn't like we were at a salad bar. I mean, we were just at a restaurant. And I, I ordered a sandwich. And I remember he didn't do anything. The boss didn't do anything. But I noticed that at least a couple of the other people at this meeting kind of like did a, a nervous double take. You know, and, and someone might have even said something like, oh, getting a sandwich. But the idea was that like we're eating what the boss is eating. And I think that's more common than people realize. And like I said, I don't even think it was, I mean, some of that might be just people's, you know, inherent sycophancy where they, you know, want to get in with the boss. And uh, you do that by doing what he does. You know, because like I really, you know, while this guy, yeah, he was somewhat of a narcissist. I don't, I, I hesitate to use that word. People throw it out there so readily. Um, but yeah, I don't even think it was something that he tried to do, but other people, you know, you, you emulate the boss and it even reminds me of a story I read about a mafia boss who, uh, he would have, he would always have a big crew of guys around him. Nicky Scarfo was his name. And, you know, he would get on these kicks where like, if he was on a health kick, he would expect everybody else in his crew to eat what he ate. You know, if he wanted Chinese food, it was a thing, you know, where everybody ate what he ate. It was just sort of a similar thing, and you see that a lot, where it's like, the boss is eating uh, chicken tikka masala, so uh, we all got to eat chicken tikka masala. I don't know what that is, but it seems to show up in all sorts of situations and places where there's a leader. And, you know, some of it might just be that people, it's hard to make decisions, so you just go, you know what, I'm just going to get what he's getting. But when someone's in a leadership position, it's a little more than just that. Um, but it, it was also with his mood, you know, where it seemed like he would come into the office and people would... It was almost like a memo went out where it was like, oh, the boss is here and he's in a good mood today, therefore we are all in a good mood. Or he's in a bad mood, so we're all going to be quiet and pensive. You know, and it just sort of sucked. You know, it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but it just sort of sucked. That just the slightest little thing this guy did impacted everybody. And I don't even think he was trying to do it, but you would have those moments, like I was saying, where when he was in this almost manic state, where you would feel like he doesn't understand why everybody is not expressing themselves exactly the way he's expressing it right now. And there's no way you could get that through his head. And I've felt that way before. I think it was about, oh God, it was about two and a half, almost three years ago. I remember I went through about a two-week period, maybe. It's hard to remember the exact amount of time. But I was just like, you know, flying. I was just, uh, like my mind was just flying. And it was, you know, one of the most intensely creative periods I've had in my life in some ways. You know, I was able to finish some things that I had left 
unfinished for a very long time. And just, you know, I was talking to people. I was coming with ideas left and right. Like I had to have a piece of paper nearby. I had to have my laptop open with Windows Notepad, a fresh Windows Notepad file at the ready, which I still use. My preferred place to write is and always will be Windows Notepad. But uh, I had to have that open because I was just filled with so many ideas. Uh, just a sec. Just checking to see that we're still recording. Um, just checking to see that I got a new Windows Notepad file open. No, when, this show replaced Windows Notepad. This show is my audio window, Windows Notepad. Audio window. Audio Notepad. Uh, but it was this period. And like during that period, I, I distinctly remember it because I was calling friends. I was calling people. I was talking to people a lot. And uh, fortunately, they all kind of got it. And it was difficult for me, though, because not everybody I was dealing with was in the state of mind I was in. And even though I was feeling good, there was this kind of like slight frustration at the fact that like nobody could get on my level. You know, and I don't even think I thought of it that way. But I just kind of wanted everybody to be flying in that moment. But I've dealt with that with other people, too. And the important thing is to not give them any pushback. But there's no way you can possibly feel the way they're feeling. Um, but it is a case, it is an example. The reason I brought all that up is just because, you know, just the flick of this guy's wrist could result in, you know, all of his underlings swaying from one direction to the other. You know, this guy, like, lifts his finger and everybody who works for him you know, it's like being on a boat that's tilting and you fall from one side of the room, one side of the cabin. See, I know my boat terms. You know, you fall from one side of the cabin to the other and you're just falling all over each other and, you know, you're just like, oh, what's, which way is the boat going to sway next? You know, and I mean, maybe even a good illustration of this is like, it's like you're watching a movie where there's a bunch of characters on a ship and the ship is swaying from one direction to another and everybody's in terror and they're screaming and then the boat seems to right itself and everybody's relieved and then it starts swaying again. And then the camera zooms, zooms out and it's a toy boat in a child's bathtub and there's some kid just splashing water, just taking a bath, having a great time. But they're causing their toy boat to go from one direction to another and there's this smaller world in that boat where everything's real. There's a crew. There's people in that boat. It's like that sort of experience. Or that kid, he's a kid playing in the bath with his toy boat. But he's also a tyrant. And there's a smaller world. There's a smaller world uh, that he doesn't even know exists. Where every little movement in that bath is causing their boat to tilt and move. And they don't know when it's just going to stay steady. You know, that's kind of what it's like when people are voting on a stimulus bill. That's kind of what it's like when you have a boss and their mood dictates your mood and the mood of the entire office. Because, you know, of course your mood, you know, if you, if you have a strong will, your own mood isn't going to be affected. Unless the boss walks in and, like, says something directly to you, the way you actually feel isn't going to be deeply impacted by... 
you know, just someone else's mood. But there are other people in the office, and I don't want to call them weak-minded, but they're more susceptible to that sort of thing, and so that in turn affects everybody, and that eventually does affect you. At the very least, you know you can't talk a certain way. You know you can't joke around. Like, there's something that happens that I would call a funeral atmosphere, where there'll be a situation you're in, and it might not be that grave. You know, it might not be as grave as an actual funeral or a death or something genuinely bad. But, like, you kind of figure out that you can't be yourself and that jokes aren't welcome. And uh, every once in a while, like, I remember going over to someone's house a few years ago and, you know, the, the people there, like a, an acquaintance of a roommate's friend had had killed himself and everybody was very very down and uh i was drunk and i I wasn't like making jokes about it or anything but it was just it was a weird situation because i walked in i walked into the house and i immediately knew that i was walking into to a a very grave atmosphere but nobody explained it to me. I could just sense it, even in my drunkenness. And then eventually I found out what everyone was sad about, which, like, absolutely. I mean, that's, it's horrible. It's horrible news. Uh, and, you know, I don't think these people really knew the guy. It was kind of the impression I got, but it was just sort of... It's empathy, you know? It's something that impacted people they know, you know? I mean... Uh, you know, I don't need to explain to anybody why it's a sad event. And, but I just remember like in my drunken state, like I wasn't feeling what they were feeling. And so it was just this awkward evening, you know, it was just this, cause like, I couldn't quite reel myself in. Like I couldn't quite, I think what it was is I couldn't quite act solemn enough like it wasn't like I was doing anything disrespectful, but it was just like, oh, I came over here and and now there's this solemn atmosphere that I didn't know was he, you know, I could feel it the second I walked in the door, but it was just, it was just one of those moments, but it was like, I wouldn't expect people in that situation to feel what I was feeling, but it was also difficult for me to feel what they were feeling, even though I did have empathy and all of that. It was just a weird situation. And death is an especially weird situation when it's not a direct impact on somebody Like, if you've ever dealt with somebody who's grieving over somebody they didn't really know, you know, I'm not even saying that about the situation I was just describing, but every once in a while, there'll be a, an episode of grief and maybe it could even be you. Like I had an episode of grief, (laughs) something, and not a night school episode of grief. Although I'm sure there have been those, right? No, but I I had an episode of grief some years back because my mom's neighbor's best friend died. And I knew the guy. Like, I I had partied with them. I really liked the guy. And I went to his memorial, and it was a small memorial and everything. But I was just like, you know, everybody was crying and everything, and I found myself crying too. Like, we were all drinking, and I was just kind of... I became a mess, which is uncharacteristic of me in those situations. But I remember at the time kind of having a moment where I realized, oh, the reason why I'm flipping out right now over this person who 
I didn't really know all that well, and I'm kind of being a poser. You know, I'm kind of being a, a grief poser. The, but the reason why I'm kind of having a meltdown over this is because I'm thinking about the time of my life when I knew that guy. Like, I'm thinking about, like, what was going on in my life when, which of course sounds very narcissistic, you know, like someone died, and I'm thinking about what was going on in my life <laughs> when I, during the period when I knew them. Uh, but but that's something real, you know, It's that that's happened to me before, too, where it was very much me thinking about, you know, what I was up to at that time that this person was in my life, even though they were in my life in a very small way. It was still just the general circumstances. I was feeling nostalgic. I was feeling sad about things that had changed. Other people that were no longer in my life. You know, it's that sort of thing. It's, it's why I'm hesitant to get down on people who are dramatic at funerals. Because uh, if you've ever been... I, I've been to very few funerals, but I went to one growing up where a woman was causing kind of a scene... You know, it, it, there was a, a very performative grief that she was expressing, and she didn't actually know the person who died like she knew the family, and at the time, people were all upset. I mean, I, I, from what I gather, this is a pretty common occurrence where, like, somebody at a funeral who's, you know, not, not really, uh, they don't really have the badge, they don't really have, like, the, the pre-approved right to display their grief too much because they maybe they weren't close enough to the person you know and that sort of thing but i remember seeing that and like you know people really resent that and that's a and those people make it an easy target for people who are already upset like someone who's already upset or sad about a death suddenly has somebody to vent their anger at and that's so tempting and it's so easy to give into but you can't, you know, you can't turn, you can't turn your, you know, your guns on that person, even though it might make you feel, it gives you something to focus on that's not simply that empty, sad thing. And so I realized that at one point, you know, that it's like even somebody who doesn't have the right to make a scene in a difficult situation, like they might be thinking about all kinds of other things. They might be thinking about other deaths that were closer to home that are unresolved to them. They might be thinking about, you know, if someone's daughter died, they might be thinking about their own kids and what that feels like. You know, it's it's not that they're just posing. And isn't it funny how we look for posers? <laughs> like, that's one thing that human beings do is we have our eye out all the time under any, you don't have to, I call them posers because it's funny to me, you know, but uh, as human beings, it's so funny to me, including me. I mean, like when I actually think like taking away the word poser, like how much of my life I've probably spent like caring about authenticity in people. And it is important to me. I mean, authenticity is very important to me. But, you know, with so many people, it's like there's nothing malicious about it. There's so much, you know, completely benign inauthenticity. And I really ought to take that to heart. <laughs> you know, that's, that's something maybe, I don't really do New Year's resolutions, but uh, maybe a, a December 29th resolution here right now is 
just taking it less to heart when someone is inauthentic in a completely benign way. And that might describe me as well as it does anybody. But it is just one of those funny things where when we think someone is somehow a inauthentic representative of something, we just want to grab them. You know, whether it's someone crying at a funeral of somebody that they barely knew, or whether it's a kid who, you know, dyes their hair blue and shaves it into a mohawk when they're 14. You know, it doesn't really matter. We are these hawks. Human beings are like hawks for inauthenticity. And it's, you know, kind of a Psych 101 thought, but still, I mean, a lot of that does come from our own internal feeling of inauthenticity, our own, uh, what's the term you hear all the time now? Imposter syndrome. That's the one I was looking for. It's nice when you find it. It's nice when you initially think you're not going to remember the term and it just comes to you right then. And then you can reflect on it immediately like I'm doing now. But no, imposter syndrome. It's like, you know, so many of us have imposter syndrome that we then like look for that in other people. And the reality is we all are imposters, you know, and when you accept that, it's just freeing. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, you know, going back to even just the tyranny of people, you know, thinking about senators and Congress people, and to be completely honest, I don't know who votes for what. I never figured out the House, the Senate. I never figured out how all that works. I don't know who chooses what. You know, I hear, I hear that there's a 14. I keep saying like 14,000. <laughs> That'd be a little different. Now I keep hearing there's that you know this $1400 discrepancy between one plan versus the other, $600 or $2000. And that's all I care about honestly. That's all I care about who votes for it, how they vote for it. That really doesn't make a difference to me, but I know they're there. Whoever they are, Whatever their official titles and designations are, I know they're there. But this comes full circle because I also know that they probably have imposter syndrome. I know that they probably feel that they're just going through the motions of something they probably don't completely understand. You know, because part of being a politician is just learning how to say anything with confidence. And often it's total nonsense. And so much of life is, you know, it's succeeding in life is that as well. It's basically, you know, fake it till you make it. But making it doesn't necessarily mean you've no longer, you know, just because you've made it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're no longer faking it. You know, because in my opinion, everybody's faking it forever. And when you accept that, the issue goes away. Doesn't mean I still don't want to talk about it, but... <laughs> You know, it is one of those things where, you know, fake it till you make it, but with the realization that there's no end to the faking it. Even when you're making it, you're still faking it. And so with these politicians and these people who vote on these issues that impact our lives and these, these political arguments, you know, these polarized, whatever that term is, polarized works for me, but... Uh, you know, just the way things are divided. 
the way that everything is divided into our side has our own little checklist, your side has your checklist, and none of the boxes on our checklist can possibly match. You know, it has to be complete opposites, you know, in that sort of debate that rages on. Um, but anyway, just, you know, I have to remember that those people are posers, too. I mean, maybe they're the biggest posers of all uh, politicians, which, you know, that, that seems like the most obvious thing somebody could ever point out. Politicians are posers. Seems like pretty obvious, but it's fun to say that. Even if that's so obvious, that, <laughs> even, if, even if that's way too obvious, it's really funny to point that out. Politicians are the biggest posers, and yet they're the most important posers. And we become posers by supporting them and thinking that they matter. And they do matter in those little moments where they're deciding whether or not you get $600 or $2,000. Uh, and, you know, I'm someone, I, I have a lot of respect for money, not to get on this completely different tangent but I, I have a lot of respect for money and uh, I don't love it I don't love money but I just have a natural respect for money like when I make money when I have money I manage it very carefully and I, I guess that comes from some kind of respect because I know that I know the value it has I guess is the way I would put it and maybe this is a Capricorn thing you know there's this whole this whole line of thought, now that it's Capricorn season, might as well talk about astrology, but there's a whole line of thought, you know, with astrology that Capricorns are these, you know, penny-pinching, you know, money-counting, I mean, Scrooge, you know, essentially Scrooge from A Christmas Carol, I always think of Scrooge McDuck from Mickey's Christmas Carol, but Scrooge is kind of the ultimate Capricorn, kind of a humorless money-counting curmudgeon. And I've known a lot of Capricorns, and I feel that that has a degree of accuracy. But there's a strange thing with Capricorns where, and you'll read about this if, if, if you dig into astrology, Capricorns are also considered one of the most spiritual signs, which would seem to go against the idea of this sort of you know, because it's not even a materialistic thing about money. Like, it's not the idea that Capricorns like money because they like to live large. It's actually the opposite. It's this miserly, they count their money and never spend it sort of thing. And what's funny about that, though, is it's not like a living large. It's not like, it's just sort of like, almost like this weird form of meditation, like counting money, counting your money. And I, you know, if I had a lot of money, I could see myself really enjoying online banking. <laughs> like, you know, now that the the money pit, you know, I was trying to think of the vault. You think about, speaking of Scrooge McDuck and his vault of coins that he swims in. You know, online banking is the modern version of that. Like, checking your online bank account, even when you don't need to. It's kind of like Scrooge McDuck swimming in his money vault. And, you know, it can be a huge source of anxiety. Like if Scrooge McDuck went into his money vault and there were like two coins at the bottom and the whole thing was empty, you know, that's torture. And it's the same thing when you look at your online banking account and you're like, 
what what who spent this money you know it's the same sort of feeling but if you had a lot of money i could see it being very pleasurable and maybe this is a capricorn thing i could see it being very pleasurable to just look at your online banking profile every day <laughs> um, but the reality is all that stuff adjusts and you, know, you think if you have a million dollars in the bank that you're going to wake up and swim through your online money vault the reality is you'll just see something else that disturbs you the reality is like I've, I even think about times where like I was flush with cash and it was great you know honestly like I think part of that is because I respected the fact that I don't know, I just respected the money. Respect the money. And, uh, but I think about that, and it was like, but even then, even, you know, even when you've saved up, like, a huge chunk of money, you know, and you've earned it yourself, you know, and, and you, you look at that, you, you're like, oh, what, what was this $2 for? What was this $2 fee? You know, it's like, even then, like, stuff will disturb you, so... I don't know. Maybe there's no pleasure for me personally when it comes to money. But I do respect it. Um, but to get back, you know, with... I don't even know. I guess I was just talking about the stimulus, which made me think of, like, respecting money. Uh, because uh, I guess, I, you know, hand, I feel very mixed about handouts, too. I have very mixed feelings like that conservative in me says like they shouldn't give people anything but the conservative in me also says you know they shouldn't shut down the entire world and try to control our lives you know without giving us a handout and I mean I think a lot of people are having some serious moments of reflection even if they don't realize it right now as far as like what their actual core beliefs and values are and if they're conflicting and if they're at odds and if you feel ambivalent to some issues and indifferent about others and your mind changes again if you change your mind I don't think that's a problem I think this is a good time to do that I think this is a really darn good time to let your mind change if it needs to and as it needs to and if, if sometimes it feels contradictory if sometimes it feels hypocritical that's fine because that'll kind of help you either find something larger that is able to encompass both of those seemingly contradictory things and form them into a whole that is in harmony because you know, that's what can happen like, if you entertain two contradictory ideas long enough, sometimes you just end up climbing up another rung of the ladder and you see those things from the top down, and you're like, oh, wait, those things actually can fit together. And I think this is a time where that can happen for people, because I certainly feel it. On one hand, I'm like, I, yeah, give me the 2000 Give me the $2,000. You know, there's a part of me that feels that way, of course, as anybody should, really. Everybody wants $2,000, but there's that other part of me that's kind of like, well, but I, you know, this whole situation is very, it's treacherous. It's psychologically treacherous because we're already grounded. You know, that's what it comes down to. We are already grounded. We already feel like we're being punished for something that we didn't do. 
And then we're basically being told, you might get your allowance. You might not get your allowance. Your allowance might be 20 bucks. Your allowance might be uh, 300 bucks. You know, that's kind of where we're at, where we're kind of these children and these demigods are just kind of playing around with these sums that are probably insignificant to them. You know, I was talking about not wanting to ever reach a point where a $1,400 difference, I don't ever want to be at a point in my life where a $1,400 difference is not substantial. Like, even if I were to earn millions and billions and trillion billion dollars, have you ever had a, you ever had a trillion billion dollars? You know, even if I had a trillion billion dollars, I don't want a $1,400 difference to be... In, you know, that has to have some substance to it to me, and I think that's a good way to live. It's a good way to respect money. I mean, I don't want a single dollar bill to not matter to me, you know? And, uh, but, you know, you have to figure, like, with these people who are voting on these things, it does feel like they are playing with chess pieces that don't even make a difference to them. You know, they're moving these pieces around on a board. And, I mean, it's, again, the child in the bathtub. It's like they're playing with a toy, but they don't realize that inside of that toy ship, there's a bunch of people's bodies flying left and right and rocking all over the place in terror. You know, I do think it's that sort of situation. And that, to me, you know, it, it's, it's a form of tyranny for sure. I think tyranny in its most basic form, is anytime you are making decisions that greatly impact people, meanwhile, the actual decisions mean very little to you personally. Because you hear tyranny and it tends to have a certain connotation, like we immediately think of the most violent king. We immediately think of Vlad Tepesh, you know, having people beheaded, or, or impaled rather, excuse me. Excuse me, Vlad the Impaler. He's not called Vlad the Impaler because he beheads people, although I'm sure he did that too. <laughs> He's called Vlad the Impaler because he, he does a little impaling. Um, that's what we call... <laughs> we're going to do a little impaling. That's what we call doing a little impaling. No, that's that's it though, where it's, it's like... Uh, you know, like we have this idea of tyranny, like it's that. We hear tyranny and we think, you know, authoritarian, you know, Stalin, Hitler, Mussolini, King Henry VIII. You know, we think of these obvious tyrants throughout history. But it, tyranny starts at the level where minor decisions for you are major decisions for other people. And you don't realize that. Or rather, minor decisions for you have a major impact for others. And you have to consider that. Because I think that is the path that leads to some form of tyranny. And uh, with... You know, and, and the thing is, too, is that you can't let yourself be too affected by that person's decisions. Which is the hard part. Like, if you feel like somebody with the flick of a wrist can make your mood go from 100 to zero, or even sub-zero, 
like you have to find a way to, to cope with that, to deal with that. And uh, as we've seen from the past four years, people have done an extremely poor job at that with the Trumpsfeld hysteria. People have not found a way to manage that. And, you know, some of us question how much impact he actually has on people, but it seems like even the things he says, even these minor flippant comments he makes have a catastrophic result as far as people's emotions go. So I understand that. But you have to find a way to not get caught up in that. You have to find a way to not get caught up in the, you know, that spider web, really. Or you just have to keep walking through it. So we can see where in the last four years, people have not done well with the way they handle, you know, a major politician, you know, in, in, in the way that they handle the slightest things he, he does or says, where it leads to this just out of control hysteria is the only way I would put it. You know, and I'm not saying that about people who simply don't like him, disagree with him, want him gone. I'm not including them in that category. I'm, I'm talking about the hysteria, which has been everywhere. It's been unavoidable for the last four years. It's been a uh, completely unavoidable hysteria. Uh, so, you know, that's what I'm comment commenting on there is that you have to be able to find your way through that. It's like, I could feel myself today because I went and I checked the news just a little bit ago. I checked some, I don't want to say I checked the news, but I, I decided to check current events. And when I saw that, like, oh, the, the $2,000 stimulus is now frozen and, and they're, they might not pass it through after all. I was just, I wanted to, I wanted to get caught in that spider web. I wanted to get caught in that spider web in that moment, but instead I left the house and went for a walk, and I'm talking to myself into my phone now, sort of about that subject. But it is just one of those things where it's it's so easy to get caught in that trap. Um, because you can't, because you also can't deny that these people do have an influence, and they do have power, and they have become these sort of demigods that are supposed to be our representatives, but don't represent us. Of course they don't. Even if you vote for them, they don't represent you. And instead, they kind of operate in this, you know, it's like they have their own council of demigods. Makes me think of like the Silmarillion creation story of Lord of the Rings, where there are these demigods playing music and music is, a, you know, it's, it's this, you know, it, it's not what holds the universe together in the Silmarillion, but it's like the demigods gathering around playing music. And yeah, in some way, it holds the balance together. That harmony holds the balance together. And then Melkor starts playing his own thing. He goes solo. And it creates dissonance, creates actual musical dissonance. And that, in turn, creates all kinds of waves you know, not-so-good waves that basically creates evil. You know, and that's kind of how you have to imagine this stuff, where it's like we as humans have these councils, these senates, these meetings of these important people that 
really have a sort of a demigod status, whether it's deserved or not, whether it's truly accurate or not. They have a sort of demigod status in our world. And, you know, the, except in this case, it seems like there's a whole lot of Melkors. In this case, when I think of, you know, American politics, probably global politics, it's not a meeting. These, these aren't meetings where everybody's these benevolent, harmonious <laughs> musicians playing together. I think it's probably more likely a bunch of Melkors. And if you're lucky, once in a lifetime, maybe there'll be one of them who is interested in harmonizing with others. That's probably how it works. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's, I don't know, it's something to be aware of in yourself, though, like I was saying a little bit ago, where, you know, even though you might not be in an actual position of power over somebody, you do have that power in any given moment. Like, even just being the difficult customer, even being the rude customer, makes you a tyrant in that moment. And it could completely impact the rest of that person's day. In the same way that I flipped out on a friend a month ago, and he told me it ruined his day. Because uh, I mean, I can be a, I can be a bulldog. It doesn't happen a lot, but I can really I can turn into a real bulldog if something sets me off. Uh, but uh, you know, in the same way that just me saying a couple things set this person off. You know, when someone's rude to... I mean, if you've ever had a, a significant other... I've never worked in food service. I've never tended bar. But if you've had a significant other who does, or a friend who does, you know, if you hang out with them after work, chances are you're going to have to spend a half hour to an hour of just them straight up decompressing and venting about even just one bad interaction with a customer. And I completely understand it. You know, I completely understand how they feel. I mean, because I've felt that in other situations. But you can see where, like, they might have had a great shift overall. They might have gotten tips. You know, they might have had a lot of good interactions with customers. But that negativity bias, where the one customer who is rude just shifts their entire chemistry for the rest of the night. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's something that plays out in all kinds of different situations. But it's something you should consider. I mean, it's something you should definitely consider if you go to restaurants. I mean, I was talking to my friend Kyle, who's been doing restaurant work for a while, and he was just talking about some of this stuff. Some of the ways that people, you know, they'll be demanding. I think he mentioned something about he was helping some other people, and a lady from a table was tugging on his sleeve like a lady at the table behind him was like tugging on his sleeve to get his attention so that he could do something for them. But he was actually taking an order for another table. And, you know, I mean, he told me about it. You know, it's, that's the sort of thing that that can completely ruin your night. And it shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't because this is just a random customer, but it does. And while I haven't worked in that industry, I know how that feels completely. Um, you know, in the same way that, you know, your boss being in a certain mood or your boss making a small comment can do the same thing to you for the rest of your work day, for the rest of your night. And then it's a it's a pay it forward sort of thing. You know, you hear, you hear pay it forward 
where it's like, oh, someone complimented you, so you compliment someone else. You paid for someone's coffee, so they're going to go pay for someone else's coffee. There's that positive pay it forward. But the much more common form of that is pay it back. Pay it backward, as we like to call it. <laughs> and that's where like, when something shitty happens to you that puts you in a bad mood, you then become this wrecking ball. It's like a disease. It's, it's like, you know, it really is. It's like, it's like somebody gave you, somebody who was in a bad mood and maybe somebody else caused that. You know, sometimes you want to look at it and be like, who was the source of all this? Who was the person who ruined someone's day this morning? Who was the person who for no reason was just mean-spirited and caused all this pay-it-backward momentum? But it is that thing where someone gets cut off in traffic and, well, I mean, I even experienced that on that episode I did at the beginning of Coronivai where the guy flipped out on me in line because I had a few too many items in the express lane. And by a few, I don't mean 20. You know, I had like five extra items. And I think they were all yogurts, which to me, I stand by this. Those five extra yogurts count as one thing. They're small. You know, you should watch the cashier ring them up. Yogurts fly through the... The cashier goes through yogurts like they're nothing. They ring them up in one motion. But anyway, the guy who flipped out on me early on in Coronivai about having too many yogurts in the express line and how that caused him to have to be in the store longer and because he didn't have a mask, you know, this is before masks were mandatory, because he didn't have a mask, it put him at greater risk. He was just going into me. And then he started going on a rant about how he had been cut off in traffic on the way there, which I thought was him kind of apologizing for his bad attitude, but it turned out the way he brought that up was like, I was in cahoots with that guy. Like in that moment, I might as well, me, the guy with five extra yogurts, in his mind, might as well have been the guy who cut him off. And when I realized that that's where he was going with it, where he was just seeing enemies everywhere he goes, everybody who could possibly inconvenience him, I was just like, oh, I don't want anything to do with this. I mean, I didn't want anything to do with it before that, but that was that was a moment where I was just like, okay, anything I could possibly say in response to this is going to escalate it. Uh, but it's it's an example of what I mean, where it's like there was a pay it backward situation going on, where some guy cut this guy off in traffic, so he went to the grocery store in a bad mood. Coronavi had just started, so everybody in the store was weird and in a frenzy and scared. And then he decided to lash out at me for having too many yogurts, which I'll tell you, those are the best yogurts I ever had. But, uh, you know, he was, he was getting on my case, and, you know, fortunately I stopped it there. I did an episode about it because I had to say something. But, uh, you know, I stopped. I don't think that I paid it any further backward. I knew what was happening. Uh, so there are situations like that, though. So it's like even on just a person-to-person level, I think we get distracted by power, myself included, where we think about these powerful people. Oh, your teacher, your parents, your boss, the president, the senator, 
the congressmen. You know, we tend to think of these people as the people who have the power to just ruin your day like it's nothing. They lift their pinky and it ruins your day 2,000 miles away. You know, we have a tendency to think about those sorts of things, but we don't realize that we ourselves have that same power. It's just that it's more direct. And, you know, you think about all of, like the stereotype of the angry husband, like the 1950s husband who comes home from work, his wife's there, she's a housewife, she asks her husband how his day went, and he grunts, and he's just mean to his family the rest of the night. Probably something bad happened at work, and he couldn't pull himself out of it, and so he pays it backward to his family. You know, and we do this all the time. We we do it all the time without realizing it. I mean, it's it's something that happens too with infatuation, with crushes, where when you have a crush on someone and you're infatuated, you're actually making that person a king or a queen over your world. And the smallest thing they say has so much weight and you you almost try to read into what they say because you think it might like somehow correspond to you or even if you're in you know even if you know them even if you're dating them even if you're in contact with somebody who you put on a pedestal like that you'll read into things they say you'll read into it even if it's not clear what they meant or if it is clear you'll read other things into it And in that moment, that person might as well be the president. You know, when you're infatuated with somebody and anything they say and do can make or break your night or cause you to ruminate, like you've made that person a tyrant and they didn't do anything. You know, they didn't do anything. They didn't put a crown on their own head. You know, so it's, it happens a lot in those situations where a person might not even realize that you have that infatuation and they're just acting like their own goofy selves and that in turn though has this massive wave that hits you and you interpret that wave you don't just get hit by that wave you analyze that wave and so there's all these different ways that we create little tyrants in our own lives and it's not that we're trying to do it it's not that we want to do it it's something that we naturally do if we catch ourselves and it's easier said than done like so many other things you know if you are infatuated with somebody it's very difficult to reel that in it's very difficult to not feel that way but i think you can uh i don't know i think there are ways to get around it by maybe simply recognizing that At the very least, by just in the simplest terms. I mean, I think some of the things like that, you can deal with them by looking at them in the simplest terms, by saying, oh, I'm infatuated. I'm infatuated. And in in just saying that to yourself, maybe you can catch it that way. But yeah, we find these ways to actually end up with these like one-sided, tyrannical relationships without even realizing it. Uh, I mean, you might not even realize that something you said or did sent this massive wave that knocked somebody else over. Um, Sometimes you do realize it. 
sometimes we almost do want to play tyrant for a minute. I mean, that's kind of what I did to my friend a month ago. I was being a tyrant. I was giving my opinions very bluntly, both blunt and sharp, like a bulldog. <laughs> both, both blunt and sharp like a bulldog's teeth. I assume that bulldogs with all those teeth in their mouth, some of them are going to be more blunt, some of them are going to be more sharp. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes you kind of know it in the moment and it feels good. Sometimes in the moment you're kind of like, yeah, I am being a tyrant. Yeah, I am lashing out. Yeah, I do want my will. I do want my will to be honored. Um, you know, you have those moments and at least with those, you know exactly what you're doing. You know, at least with those, you're not tricking yourself. You're just like, oh yeah, I am being a monster right now. It's just, you can't let yourself do that. It just, it slips out though. Those, those moments slip out. But yeah, you just, I mean, I think all of these things do relate. I think the way that we treat Paul, in the same way though, that you can like tell yourself, Oh, the reason why this person's words, the reason why every text message I get from this person causes my entire system to restart and why I do like a somersault and punch a wall <laughs> when I get a text message from this person. Oh yeah, it has nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with them. Like, I'm actually the person who has put them on a pedestal. I have actually made them a tyrant, and they don't even know they're being a tyrant. I have placed so much importance on this person. And again, I think the most common example of this is you know, when you meet somebody new, when you have a crush, an infatuation, that's when you make that person a tyrant without them ever even knowing. You know, so you have to be careful of those moments. But in the same way that you can undo that, in the same way that you can recognize that and be like, oh, I'm just infatuated with this person. And therefore, I have a hard time. Uh, not even I have a hard time, but it's like I'm infatuated with this person and it's difficult not to put a lot of extra weight on every little thing they say or do around me. You can do the same exact thing with a politician. Yeah, if they're ordering, you know, mass murders, if they're, you know, signing executive orders to do horrible things, that's a different story. But when it comes to just your daily interaction with them, and I mean, with a politician, you're not personally interacting, but you are interacting. They are speaking publicly to a national audience so they know people are listening and you're one of them so you know you are interacting in a strange way even though i wouldn't normally call watching somebody on tv or watching a clip of somebody on the internet to be an interaction it is in its own way but you can actually respond to that the same way you would a person in your life who you've given too much weight to and you can be like oh yeah you know uh, Donald Trumpsfeld or Joe Obama biting Joe Obama biting the new presidential elect you know you can look at that guy and say 
Oh yeah. I put a bunch of weight on him in my mind. And not to say that he doesn't potentially impact my life in certain ways. We're seeing now where these politicians have a lot of control over us. Locking things down, shuttering things. You know, these are the moments where we realize these people do have power. Because sometimes it's an open question. You know, sometimes it's an open question as to how influential and powerful a governor or a mayor or a senator actually is, or a president. You know, I think sometimes there's sort of an open question about that. Are these people figureheads? Are the strings actually being pulled in some place that I can't see below the surface? And then you have these moments where you have governors who are just like, yeah, we're closing all businesses today. And if you, if you open up your business, the firing squad will shoot coronavi capsules directly into your mouth. Uh, you know, it, it, you end up with these situations like that where you suddenly realize, okay, these people do have a significant amount of power. But even then, I don't think you can let yourself be consumed. Like, I have a relative who hates the, the Washington state governor. And, and to be honest, I'm not a big fan myself. Um, but I see bumper stickers, like, I saw a bumper sticker yesterday, in fact, and it had Calvin pissing, which has been a long joke with my friends and I. We have a, a long-standing, probably like 15-year-old, Calvin pissing joke, because there's those stickers that show Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes pissing on things. And we had a whole, I mean, I wouldn't even be able to recount it. We had a whole elaborate, and it probably wasn't elaborate at all. It was probably like the dumbest joke we've ever had, but it just involved Calvin pissing. And uh, it was a sticker on someone's car I saw yesterday of Calvin pissing on Jay Inslee's name. So it was, Calvin was pissing on the name of the Washington state governor. And it's like, man, I couldn't get, <laughs> I couldn't get that invested in that. You know, like I couldn't even, even if this guy were ordering mass executions of people who defied coronavirus lockdown, I still don't think I could invest enough in that to put a Calvin pissing sticker on Jay Inslee's name. You know, I just don't think I could do that. I couldn't invest myself in that way. What I would do is I would have Calvin pissing on Calvin pissing. I would have Calvin pissing onto the back of Calvin uh, of another Calvin pissing. A piss train. A Calvin piss train. Um, I'd be more likely to do that. But no, the idea of like really focusing on these individuals and letting them dictate your mood. I just don't think anything good can come from that. If they are doing something that's legitimately serious that makes waves in your life, which they do. You know, it, they don't do it all the time, but it's, it is something they do. And... You know, you, you have to be able to respond to that, but I don't think it helps you respond to those instances when you actually do have to react. Like, I, I don't think that it helps you respond to those instances any better when you're consumed by some sort of disgust for this would-be tyrant. I don't think it helps you to be consumed by that. It doesn't help you deal with the actual practical things you have to deal with that come from a politician.
And I, in fact, think you're a lot stronger and more capable of dealing with those things when you're not consumed by that person. You're at least a little more objective. You're not tethered to them. Because, you know, that's what I've said about Trump's felt a lot over the last couple of years is just that people have tethered themselves to him. People have become these moons that revolve around him. He is this planet, and people are these screaming and crying moons, millions of tiny moons just surrounding this big planet, this big planet with a face on it. And, you know, that doesn't help anybody because they're attached to that. They're revolving around that. They are tethered to it. So tethering yourself to these things is not the way to go. And, you know, again, though, it, it's one of those things that you just have to find your own way to get untethered. Because there's some situations where it, it's like when you can't stop thinking about something. You don't really know what to do in that moment because you try to think about other things and that other thing just looms large. And it seems that the harder you try to think about other things, the more likely that thing is going to peek over. It's going to eclipse the other things you're trying to think of, and you just can't avoid it. And in that situation, you know, maybe the right answer is just to focus entirely on it until you're so sick of it that you can't do anything else. Because that works for me sometimes. It's kind of like a meditation technique, which is if you're meditating and you find yourself thinking obsessively about something that is bothering you, you shouldn't try to push it away and think about other things. You should just let that one thing kind of consume you, if that's what it's going to do. You let it consume you. And, uh, you know, I think that's what a lot of this kind of comes back to too is like sometimes you just let yourself feel the full force of that thing but that doesn't always work either because it seems like that's what some people have been doing with Trumpsfeld for the last four years where they've just let him consume them and they haven't even tried to avoid uh, thinking about him and it just seems to have increased their terror and their hysteria so it doesn't always work it doesn't always work but I think sometimes if it's in your control, I think that's a difference. I think that's actually a big difference in that situation where if something is within your control, like if something is really bothering you in your life and it is an actual component of your life, it's something that you could do or it's something, yeah, it's, it's basically something that is within your control within your own life. I think it can be good just to think of it head on, not to try to ignore it, let it consume you, come up with a plan to deal with it. And you're set, you know, or at least you're, you're more set than you would be. But when it's something that actually isn't within your control, like a Trumpsfeld, like the giant Trumpsfeld balloon, because when I imagine him, I imagine him as like a Macy's Day Parade balloon just floating over everybody and doing nothing, just floating over everybody with a big, you know, insane grin on his face and everybody's just screaming. You know, that's what I imagine from him, is that he's just this giant Macy's Day balloon floating down a metropolitan street, and people are just, they want to see him, but by seeing him, they're just in this state of terror, and they feel like they can't escape. 
But with a person like that, I think why people, you know, on one hand, people have addressed that head on by just obsessing over him, even though he greatly disturbs them, they obsess over him. But I think because that's something they can't actually control. Yeah, they can vote. They can voice their opinion. But because at the end of the day, you alone can't just completely get rid of that person from doing what they're doing. It just grows. Because it's not something that's within your range. It's not within your range of motion. You know, you don't have access to the control room as far as that goes. And I mean, that's a good way of thinking about all this stuff, you know, having access to the control room. Because you know you have access to your own control room. You know, there are other things too. Like, it's a question you could ask yourself. It sounds like... <laughs> it's not it's not the phrase I expected to come up with here, but I think it's something you can ask yourself by saying, hey, do I have access to the control room that deals with that? And if the answer is yes, well then that's a relief right there because that means you can do something. But if the control room is locked, if you're not allowed, well, you're going to have to find another way to deal with it. And just staring at the door, the locked door of the control room, isn't going to do anything for you. Just waiting for it to magically open isn't going to do anything for you. So you're going to have to find something else to do. And maybe the thing to do is to do nothing in that situation. Maybe the thing to do is to not try to control it. And, you know, orient yourself in a different direction, whatever it is. Uh, but, you know, that's my approach right now to these demigods. That's my approach to people I know in my life who could potentially become momentary tyrants, because that's what that is. Like when you're mean to a, a waiter or a waitress, you're a, a momentary tyrant. doesn't mean you're a tyrant all the time, but in that moment you're a tyrant and your minor displeasure over the way your steak was cooked, you know... It, does that really, does that really deserve, you know, is that really worth ruining somebody's night? Yeah, if it's not edible, if it's not what it was supposed to be, send it back, sure. But just making, you know, you can even do that politely. You can send your steak back to be prepared differently without being a tyrant about that. <laughs> you know, you can find a way to do that better. But, you know, I think it's just, you know, taking a look at yourself and all these ways that you can be this little small tyrant while, and, and learning how to not do that, learning how to catch yourself from doing that. Because um, it's the same way. Like, if you do feel like somebody else is infatuated with you, you have to recognize in that moment that your words have a lot of weight. And sometimes you might not even know somebody's infatuated but usually you can tell. Usually you can tell. And you have to recognize the power that you have in that moment. And some people abuse that power. Some people go through life being these shadowy tyrants. And they find people they can manipulate. But sometimes you can end up doing it unintentionally, and that always sucks too. But you can recognize your own capacity to do that no matter who you are. I mean, I guarantee you, 
You could walk into a homeless camp and find a tyrant. You could walk into a kindergarten classroom and find a kid who is being a tyrant. You walk into a Senate hearing. Pretty easy to find a tyrant, I imagine. You know, so you can find it everywhere. You can find it in yourself. And in recognizing it everywhere, well, that might give you that highly sought key to the control room. Children can run free. 